Luke chapter 2. Um, do you ever hear or see commercials that they just play them so much that when it comes on, you're just like, oh my goodness, I'm sick of this thing, you know? Um, there, There's one on the radio that plays a lot. And uh, during the um, sports games and stuff, and the guy calls up, did you see the game? Oh, I'm sorry about that. Your team really got thrashed, you know. And and do you need a shoulder to cry on? And uh, how many of you have heard that one? And uh, the first few times I heard it, I thought, that is really funny. That is really funny. But the longer the season went, the more I heard that thing, the more aggravating it, it became. And in part because it was true, all right? <laughs> but um, at any rate, you know, there's certain things that you just hear it so much. And sometimes when you hear things, then you don't even hear it. You know what it is, so you don't even hear it. And, and so I was thinking of all that uh, in light of... Um, we're beginning our, our Christmas um, emphasis today. And you say, um, man, we're not even into December yet. And you're, you're starting on the Christmas emphasis. Um, how many of you have done any Christmas shopping yet? Raise your hand. How many of you put up any Christmas decorations at all? This one will probably have fewer. How many of you have sent out any Christmas cards yet? Oh, look at that. One person. Jason has. I And you sent all those out already? Well, I didn't get mine yet. Yeah, yeah. And you say you're a friend. Man. <laughs> um, so see, how many of you thought, you've looked in the paper or seen ads and thought, Good night, Christmas already. How many of you have thought that? See, so Christmas is on your mind, whether you like it or not, all right? Good, bad, or otherwise, it's there. And um, really, the more, the more I think about the account of God sending His Son, the more I really see that we need to value in such a great way, this great, great message. And uh, lest we just become too familiar with it, uh, that's one of the fears, but uh, I want you to just look at Luke chapter 2. And I know you've heard it read, but I want you to just try to, to have a fresh uh, mindset as we look at this this morning. And uh, we're starting a series today that deals with what Christmas teaches us and what are the lessons that we learn what Christmas teaches us. I'll begin reading in Luke 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. 
And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I personally ask that you would truly use this message of Christmas this season to rekindle in our hearts a love, an appreciation, a motivation of your great love for us. And Lord, that... that Truly, this would be the central theme of our thoughts in these days, that it wouldn't get buried under plans and activities and, and shopping and everything else, but Lord, that, that we truly would come to celebrate Your great love for us, that we'd gain from, from this wonderful account that we read in so many different places in Scripture what You truly want us to. And Lord, uh, I pray that Your Spirit uh, would be pleased at our response to Your ministry in our life. For we pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Think about this. How would humanity know that some man claiming to be God was really God. Here, 
throughout history, there have been many people that have showed up on the scene and claimed to be God or claimed to be God's spokesman. But how would people, just the general populace, how would they know that indeed the one who was God was the one that they were looking at. It was the one that, that they were, were seeing. Well, one of the ways would be through fulfilled prophecy. And indeed, prophecy was fulfilled by Christ's birth. And one of the things that we want to look at today that Christmas teaches us is that the Bible is dependable, it is accurate, and it is perfect. And we're just looking at this aspect, the coming of Jesus Christ. What, what were some of the prophecies concerning this? And the prophecies that were given when He showed up, how did, did His coming match up with these? And was there evidence that he really is God in the flesh. The prophecies that, that were fulfilled by Christ's birth. And, and we're limiting our scope this morning. There are so many prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ's life. But we want to we begin at the beginning. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, long before there was ever the written Word, before anyone had ever heard of Messiah, God, if you please, created a signpost in the Garden of Eden that pointed directly to the means by which His Son would enter into this world. We find in Genesis 3 and verse 15, this is after the fall of man, and God is, is informing Adam and Eve and the serpent the result of their sin, uh, the curse that would be brought. And in verse 14, the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And right here, God really made a definitive statement of how Jesus Christ was coming into the world. And the first prophecy that we find in this regard concerning Christ's first coming, and the prophecy was that the seed of the woman, he said, I'm going to put between Satan, enmity between Satan and his seed and the seed of the woman. Now, um, what he was saying is that there is coming someone that is born of woman that does not have the seed of man 
playing any part in the birth. That there was a birth that was coming that was born outside of the normal process of conception. So immediately, the first thing God says, you will be able to tell when I have sent my son, when I have sent the deliverer, because this being will be born of the seed of a woman. It will be born of a virgin. No man will have had any part in, in conception. It will be born of a virgin. Turn, if you would, to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7. <clears throat> Hundreds of years after the Genesis chapter 3, um, in Isaiah chapter 7, the Lord gives another prophetic statement through Isaiah the prophet. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, and, and we don't have time to, to go into all the details of this, um, the, the context, but the promise that he gave, um, he was going to show them a sign. And the sign is, the Lord himself shall send you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Um, if you happen to have a translation of the Bible that says a young woman shall conceive, um, the best thing for you to do with that version would be to get rid of it. How would any young woman, not a virgin, any young woman giving birth to a son and naming him Emmanuel, how would that be a sign? Young women give birth to sons all the time. The reason this is a sign is because a virgin, one who had never known a man in the sense of having physical relations with a man, a virgin is going to give birth to a son and his name will be called Emmanuel. Do you, I know we, we believe in the virgin birth and we just take it for granted. Do you believe, do you understand what a miracle this is? Do you understand there is only one time in, in all of history that this has ever happened? And it is the definitive mark that you would know this is sent from God when this woman gives birth to a son and she has never had physical relations with another man. Turn to Mark chapter, Mark chapter 6. It's interesting historically to go in and, and see the various early Christians, first century Christians, second century, how they realized the, how the magnitude of this. That how do we know this is God in the flesh? Well, we know that, she, that He was born 
of a virgin. Um, it was a matter of um, um, even to a certain degree a matter that uh, the religious leaders at this time wanted to minimize and, and, uh, and to do away with. But in Mark chapter 6, uh, in Jesus' earthly ministry, He'd been teaching and ministering and, and um, they gathered together and were having a discussion about Him. And in verse 3 of Mark 6, they said, Is not this the carpenter the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simeon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Now, we read over that and, and quickly read over. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? In the society that Jesus was living in at this time, this was a great insult because children were called by the name of their father. Except in the case where a child's paternity was in doubt. So, when they said, Is not this the son of Mary? They were, they were in essence saying, we can more relate to it, isn't this, this one doing all this, and they're amazed at what he's doing, but they're saying, isn't this that illegitimate son of Mary? And even by their saying that, they're giving credence to the fact that Joseph was not the earthly father, the one that conceived with Mary. This was a a miracle of God. You know, I've shared before, I've in in my progression in life, um, it's easy to get where where you react. You see people, you know, abuse uh, celebrating Christmas and so so you think, ah, yeah, this, this, that and the other, you know, and and I've, I've come around. This is one of the greatest things we ought to celebrate. This is a one-time-in-all-of-history event. And this is a marked difference between Christianity and anything else. Confucius and Buddha and Muhammad and any other religious leader, they were all conceived of normal, natural means only Christ was born miraculously. And we need to celebrate it. We need to, we need to celebrate this, this God, and, and we'll talk about it more in the weeks to come, God cared enough about mankind that He would do the miraculous, that He would do, humanly speaking, the impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. And this is something that that doesn't compute, compute in our mind. But it was a prophecy that God gave. This is, you hear people say, this, this is a God thing, meaning God's the only one could do it. This is a God thing. This is the Lord's doing. It should be marvelous in our eyes. And, and don't let yourself get... Get 
weighed under with the, the activities of Christmas, come back and realize God promised something that, that didn't make any sense. The seed of the woman, born of a virgin, that, that completely just does not fit. And then He did it. Exactly as He said. The, the Bible is dependable. The Bible is accurate. The Bible is perfect in all its ways. We now know of Bethlehem as a very famous city. Before the birth of Christ, Bethlehem wasn't a place that tourists went. But in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, we find another fulfillment or another prophecy given, and we'll find another fulfillment of it. The location of his birth in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, it gave the specific location that in Bethlehem of Judea that Christ would be born. Now, look how God moved in, in, in the perfect. Uh, Joseph and Mary, as we read earlier, did not live in that area at the time. But um, it ought to encourage your heart. God works even through wicked governments, right? And they made a decree, and you had to go back to your home to be taxed, to take the, the census and, and take care of things. So while they were there, the sovereignty of God, she brought forth her son. What if, what if it had come earlier while they were traveling and was in the desert? Well, it wouldn't have fulfilled prophecy. What if it had come later when they'd gone back um, to Galilee? Exactly as God said in Bethlehem. Now, you, you run the, the probabilities of this happening. A woman bearing a child that is a virgin giving birth in Bethlehem. God's Word is perfect in all its ways. The events surrounding His birth are another aspect of prophecy fulfilled. In Jeremiah and we'll give the references. You can look them up in Jeremiah 31 and verse 15. It said that there would be a great slaughter of infants that would surround his birth. You know the account. You've read the account. We don't need to go into the details of that. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 16, trying to wipe out God in the flesh, the cosmic battle of all ages, Satan trying to wipe out Jesus Christ, ask for all those infants to be killed and, and just a, a horrific events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1 says that Joseph and Mary would flee to Egypt. And we read in Matthew 2, 14 and 15, that they fled to Egypt. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 said that there would be a, a forerunner, that John the Baptist would come before him and, and prepare the way. And God 
fulfilled that exactly. Now see, all of these things and and just the, the, the minute details of every one of these, it, it wasn't, well, they came close to fulfilling it. They fulfilled it exactly as he said. So you say, what does all this mean to me? Well, number one, realize the Bible is all I have and all I need. We could go on um, and mention the accounts of the Word of God coming to the shepherds we read earlier. And did they go and find it? Yes, they found it exactly as they were said. We could say the, the light of God led the wise men. They found it exactly as they were led. But for us today, what do we have? We have God's Word. The Bible is all I have and it's all I need. Secondly, I can trust God's Word. Every detail, every expression of God's Word, I can trust God's Word. It's no, it's no different uh, for Mary. It's no different the Word of the Lord that came to Joseph and said, I understand you want to... You want to end this relationship, but trust me, the word of the Lord said to Joseph, this is of God. And Joseph said, okay. He trusted God's word and it was proven true. You can trust God's word. I can trust God's word. Number three, I must study and know God's word. We, we are most favored because we have the word of God. But the Word of God uh, does not benefit me unless I personally get into the Word and study the Word and know the Word. Not for the sake of, of having a bunch of facts and figures. Not for the sake of winning Bible trivia. To get in and study the Word to know God. God... What are you revealing about yourself in the book of Genesis? God, what are you revealing about yourself in this passage? God, what are you showing me about you? See, the Word of God is trustworthy. But understand, the attack on your faith and my faith is to get me to ignore or doubt God's Word. And in every one of our lives, this attack takes different ways and different forms. First of all, the attack begins by trying to get us to ignore God's Word. Not to read the Word of God. Not to study the Word of God. To go a few days, and then it's a week, and... And just to get a little sampling here, well, I went to church and we opened our Bible. Are you really a person of the book? The battle that's taking place in your faith is, number one, to get you to neglect the Word of God. To not read the Word of God. They'll even settle for getting you to read about the Word 
but not to read the Word. We go back to number one. The Bible is all I have and all I need. Is that reflected in our life? Is that reflected that we have a hunger and thirst for God's Word? Listen, God has exalted His Word above His own name. And, and we look at this whole Christmas account, and exactly as God said it, He fulfilled it. Or the attack is if we don't ignore God's Word, we doubt God's Word. Well, I don't know if that's re- going to really be true in my life. I don't know if God still works like that. I don't know this, and, and what's the application of this and that? you understand the attack is directly related to this book? From the very beginning, the serpent came and said, Did God really say? And he wants us to get where we don't accept what God really said. Nothing has changed in his methods of operation. He wants to keep you from the Word, and He wants to make you doubt the Word of God. Number five, evidence that I believe God's Word is that I obey God's Word. It's not enough to say, I believe it. You know, it's cute to say, I believe it from cover to cover, and I even believe the cover. It says, Holy Bible. The devil believes it. The evidence of real faith is that we obey it. That we believe it enough that this is what God's Word said. This might be what I am inclined to do or feel like doing, but this is what God's Word said, so this is what I'm going to do. That's faith. That's belief. Faith without works or faith without action, faith without obedience is dead. James says, if there is genuine faith, it will be manifested in the changes it brings in our life. It will be seen by being confronted with the truth of God and saying, oh, wait a minute, my life needs to change in order to match up with that. Whether it's something to do or something to not do, and proof that we really believe the Bible is that we elevate it above our reason, above our experience, above what others think, above what we may have been taught, and we say, if that's what God says, then that's what I need to obey. See, all the characters of the Christmas account, from Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men and Simeon and Anna, all of them give testimony to this fact, that what God says is true. And the reality comes down to us 
what Christmas teaches me is that the Bible is, in every detail, is dependable, is accurate, and is perfect. And we live in a day where that has come under attack, and, and it, not, not that that's new, it's always been under attack. But regardless of what goes on out there, you are the one that determines in your own life what part God's Word plays. He said this, and it was fulfilled exactly as He said. A virgin gave birth in Bethlehem, followed by the slaughter of infants, and a flight to Egypt, and a forerunner named John the Baptist. It all happened exactly as He said. And God says, I want you to have an unwavering, unquestioning dependence upon my word that changes your life. Really, what it teaches us is that God's word is dependable, God's word is accurate, and God's word is perfect. Heavenly Father, I pray as we celebrate this miraculous manifestation of your character. I pray that it would build our faith and and make us realize that we can trust your word and Lord, that we would become students of your word. That we would be obedient to your word. Lord, I pray today if there's any that have not obeyed in turning from their sins to receive the gift that we're remembering at this Christmas season, Lord, I pray today that they would call upon You for the forgiveness of sins. And then, Lord, I pray today for believers here that have been negligent of Your Word, that have believe the doubts of Satan and and have backed off in their faith and just kind of coasting. Lord, I pray that today would be a day that we make the steps necessary to truly be people of Your Word. Lord, I pray for individuals today that they know what You've asked them to do but they just haven't obeyed yet. Lord, may today be the day that they really manifest their faith by doing what You've asked them to do. Lord, thank You that Your Word is dependable, accurate, and perfect in all its ways. Thank You that You've given access to Your Word. And Lord, I pray that Your Word would live through our lives for your glory, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed.